0: Reading Short and Deep Hi, I'm Jesse And I'm Eric Today we're reading Short and Deep The Pendulum by Ray Bradbury And we're reading two stories One is called The Pendulum And the other is called Pendulum And they're both by Ray Bradbury But one of them is also by Henry Hasse. Um, and, uh, I have a, a strong preference for one over the other. Um, and I didn't even want to bother with the second one. Um, so I guess that tells you which one I liked, right? Um, but I think the second one is fascinating and interesting. Um, and the first one is less, um, less, uh
1: intellectual and more emotional and And by first you mean in order of publication
0: right so the first first time this story was published it was published in future fantasia fall 1939 as the pendulum and it did not have attribution um didn't say who wrote the story however the magazine was published by ray bradbury it was typed up on his typewriter and all the typos are his typos because this is from his own fanzine um, the second one was published in Super Science Stories, November 1941, and that is a professional magazine. It's two years later, and then in the version that I'm holding in my hand, my left hand, I've got uh, the version from Famous Fantastic Mysteries, which is a reprint of that Super Science Stories, November 1941 publication. That's from June 1953, and this has beautiful illustrations. The original as an illustration, doesn't say who did the art, but it might be Ray Bradbury.
1: <laughs> I would uh, suggest, at least as I looked at a copy of the 1939 version, which is apparently an image of the the typed up, uh, whatever it is, mimeograph. He- hectograph, that, actually. Hectograph, okay. Yeah,
0: very um, hard to get the resolution. It's it
1: purple on, on very yellow paper. Right, and uh, you did a nice job, and I've seen it uh, available otherwise as well. Um, I don't think that those are typos.
0: Some of them are uh, – I, I agree. Uh, there, There's one spot – so I guess we're talking about the spelling of a lot of words, right?
1: Exactly, uh, exactly. Uh, I agree. It seems, I mean, I, I'm with you uh, as far – how? I, I don't think that I would say um, – I have a strong preference for one over the other only because that phrase suggests that I think that the one preferred is a really terrific story. I I think that the one preferred is a good story to think about in order to understand what makes a story good or bad. It's sort of like uh, Mm -hmm. looking at abnormal psychology in order to learn how normal psychology works. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, while I do agree that the, the later version is much better or much, is much closer to being a good story than the first version, I, I think that one of the very few things in the first version that are artistically valuable and missing in the second version are those spellings when flight is spelled F-L-I-T-E and brought is spelled B-R-O-T-E and so on, I think there is a sort of implicit suggestion that the narrator who goes unnamed in the first version, that the narrator is from a time far enough in the future that English has undergone spelling reform. (laughs) And I must say that's, that's a lovely touch and it's, Especially since the story is about time, um, but it's one of the few lovely touches in the story, and it's missing in the later version. I guess when uh, Henry Hass and actual publishers got a hold of it, they decided that they had to spell things the way, by golly, they were spelled in 1941.
0: It's uh, so they're radically it. different stories in in length, um, in in even the way they're framed um it's the same it's the same plot but uh i don't know that ray bradbury had a hand in the revision as well but i feel his his work a lot less
1: in in the revision i agree i agree just so people will understand um in the first version called the pendulum as opposed to the second which is just called pendulum in the first version we have A story told by a nameless narrator, uh, presumably from the far future if we think of it as uh, a viewpoint, Uh, but it is a third person narrator who is telling us about the story of a man named Layville, L A Y E V I L L E, maybe it's Layville, a man named Layville who invented a time machine. And when he gathered the world's great scientists together to observe this, he's now going to give a public demonstration. um, It blows up and it wipes out these 30 great scientists. Although it's an accidental death, the world is so incensed at what has just happened that they demand the execution of Layville. But instead they come up with the idea that he should be imprisoned in this so-called time machine of his. They build a huge pendulum. It's so large that it casts a hundred foot shadow as it swings to and fro. And at the, the bulb at the bottom of it, which is called the head in the story, uh, it's huge impregnable glass bulb. They put Layville and for the rest of his life, he is fed through daily by a tube that goes down through the uh, the pendulum arm and delivers packets at his feet. And once a day, a vacuum go vacuum cleaner goes down the same arm and sucks up any waste materials. And uh, then we get the story of him uh, being uh, used as an object lesson. Tourists come to visit him. Eventually most people forget about him, except the occasional tourists. Then the city in which he is displayed is automated. Robots do the work. Uh, aliens come down, black gelatinous aliens that somehow suck up and destroy all of humanity so that he becomes the only human being left. Um, and he's in this you know, thing looking out um, and then Other aliens come down and finally he's able to to die. We don't know how much time has passed. Um, And when he dies, he gets shriveled up into uh, a skeleton that we are supposed to believe has a lipless, enigmatic smile. And that's his punishment. That's the end of the story. Um, If uh, if that unless I've left out something that you think of as central to it jesse i would say that it's a a pretty simple story it says be careful what you wish for Hmm. see i wanted a time machine and now i'm stuck in it and uh, it turns out that uh, people get annoyed when they don't get what they want the the actual legality of what's going on and the notion of revenge seems to me unmotivated the idea even in 1939 that only two million people would actually be able to know what's going on at the time. Uh, you know, there's a whole world connected by radio, but no, that it says television tele- in here. I know it's two I know million. It says tele- oh my god! <laughs> I know it says television, but, but it's set you know, in the future, right? <laughs> well, but even if it weren't, um, even if it were set in 1939, if it's this momentous uh, a demonstration that the thirty brainiest scientists in the world would come together to watch it, you would think that they would be broadcasting it on radio also. Sure. Right? So, I mean, millions and millions would know about it. The whole story really doesn't much work. It's called Pendulum. It's not about time. It's not about going back and forth. To the extent that it's about anything, it seems to be about. Be careful what you wish for. Um, But the reason that it's a problem to wish for something is that, People are vindictive, and they're not so smart after all. Uh, not much of a story. Does that seem I, fair to
0: you? I, I think you're right. Um, I, I mean, outlining the plot, uh, which I think the revision does, as uh, again, um, just outlines its defects. I think, um, but I don't think it's substantially different in the 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 revision. Um, Although it's structured differently, the plot is identical, yes?
1: The inner plot is identical. The The story, the second story, called The Pendulum, is less a story about Layville, in my mind, than it is a story about humanity. Because the outer narrator mm-hmm. is f- from an alien race that comes down, has a discussion sees Layville's notebook which didn't exist in the earlier version in which Layville tries to discuss his views of what has gone on of that same basic plot and then uh, we get his thoughts and the value of his thoughts are filtered through the alien consciousness that is in the the frame narration and so I would say that the inner Workings of what Leville did and what was done to him are the same. Minor differences; it's a hundred scientists instead of thirty, but the inner plot devices are the same. But the story is no longer about Leville being caught. The story now becomes one about what kind of a thing is a human being. And to me, that makes it a much that's that's part of why it's a more powerful, richer story. Mm.
0: I uh, I I quite prefer the the earlier one and not because it has a uh, a more interesting plot but the language I think is 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 much better. It, you prefer the earlier one? Oh much much prefer. The
1: 1939
0: version. Indeed. And it's striking to me how how much I prefer it given that the the second one is highly competent. The first one is incredibly raw and one of the, one of the things that I uh, think we should mention is that this is published in 1939 um in the time Ray Bradbury's 18 this story comes out that's um that's pretty interesting and yet it's it's not I don't think you know I don't think Ray Bradbury has a gra- great understanding of human culture or you know law or proportionality or anything like that but what i do think he has a grasp of is is a kind of um, po- poetic imagery and he's really good at poetic imagery as as you see in many many of his stories but specifically uh, this image of a man in a pendulum uh, inside a in the rewrite it's glassite to make it a little more science fiction-y. In the original, it's just glass. Um, I think that the reason the second one is not as good as to what it's trying to do, for me, is because it's designed to try and up the super-science-ness of the story, right? So so this genre of super-science is... Is basically created by or exemplified by the covers of amazing stories uh, where you've got these giant mechanisms that, you know, take over whole cities and you see them flying across the sky like dirigibles or um, zeppelins or flying tanks or flying armies of tanks or just flying aircraft. Um, and you've got. Uh, cities around the world where, you know, when they do a cartoon version of those cities, you've got, uh, you know, Big Ben standing over London and the Eiffel Tower standing over uh, Paris. And here we've got a, a similar tourist attraction, a, a giant pendulum with a man at the bottom, swinging back and forth. And, and, and the language of the original is all about that, that swinging back and forth and sort of the ridiculous... I mean, why is this thing constructed? Because Ray Bradbury had this vision in his head that he's translated very effectively for me into the story of just showing that vision of a glass ball, like a like a uh, the bottom of a thermometer, and then ex- extending up into the sky with some he calls them intestines that control the, the movement back and forth. And then there's, he, he's, he's explained how, you know, humans every day transfer uh, food down to him and then suck up his wastes and, and they even send a book down. <laughs> in, in the case of the original, it's to read. In the case of the, the remake or the rewrite, it's to uh, write his journal entries in. But I mentioned uh, the typos, and I, one of the pleasures of reading this is you can see that it, it, it's written on a typewriter um, and then transferred to the hectographic process and handwritten at the bottom of the second page is continued, right? Right. Uh, continued on the next page because it's maybe not clear that it would be continued on the next page the way the magazine's written. But there are there are a few typos here and there. One of them, I assume, is a typo on the first page. The prisoner of time. That's what they called him now. Now fettered to the very machine he had planned and constructed. A P R I dash O N dash E R dash 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 of dash 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 time exclamation point right he left out the letter s prisoner of time it's pre-under which is interesting and then the next part a p a dash 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 pris dash dash on dash dash er dash dash of dash dash time exclamation point so i assume that's a typo but then on the final uh second the second the last Page second to last paragraph of the second page, it starts. Of ten, he thought of that title. I'm sorry. <laughs> on the second to last paragraph, oh, third to last paragraph on the second page, near the bottom, it says, "Of ten, he thought of that title." Now, I, I, I was like, "What does that mean?" On, oh, of, oh, often, obviously, it's often, right? Often. That makes more sense than of 10. But that charming typo makes me think of a clock, which is kind of the point of, of this pendulum. And why is this story... I mean, this is a silly story, really. It, it doesn't really make any sense. But on an emotional level, this is, I think, Ray Bradbury rewriting the pit on the pendulum from his own perspective, his own image of it. He... he I can I can sort of picture him sitting there and thinking, "Well, that's an interesting story that pit in the pendulum, but wouldn't it be much more interesting that this this horror that's happening be on display for everyone rather than be hidden away and only on display for the individual? Wouldn't it be more interesting if he was in the pendulum swinging back and forth and and then he adds in this sort of, oh, explanation. Oh, it's he built a time machine, yes. But the internal explanation doesn't make any sense. It's all about the image. And I think when we reread the second story, though much more polished in many respects, it gets so far away from that original vision that he's translated, I think, very effectively um, to this hectographic, fanzine, unattributed, uh, I, I want to throw away all my expectations about what makes sense and just concentrate on the beauty of the image.
1: Well, um, <clears throat> we disagree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I like what you did with uh, Of Then, I mean Of Ten, um, but... Really, that's uh, I, I think it is a typo. We can I we can read lots of lots of good stuff into typos. Um, and the fact that the typo fortuitously gets you to think of something is is lovely. Um, but just as I would find myself trying to correct A pronunciation error in my own mind when I listen to someone who is not a native speaker of English um, trying to understand what they meant to say rather than what I heard them to say Um, I sort of try to understand what was written even if it's not what actually was written. So my tendency would be to throw that out. But, but you know, we can keep it in and we can look and it it becomes of, of some interest. And your way of making it interesting for yourself is to see it as 10 of the clock uh, or something like that. And, you know, um, OK, but why not nine or three? I, I'm not really move to argue against the pleasure you take in the story you know, enjoy my friend, enjoy. But I don't think that the image is a particularly powerful one. That is the, the main image that you're seeing. Now, wouldn't it be interesting if the man were in the pendulum for all to see instead of just reporting the pendulum. And frankly, I don't find it interesting. Uh, to me, the most powerful line in the story is one that you you quoted. Um, he was where is it? He was fettered, um, fettered by the very machine that he had built. Where is that line? Um, it's
0: on uh, yes. Third it's paragraph. it's
1: un, right. Fettered to the very machine he had planned and constructed. Um, yep, he is. And, uh, that's, as I say, it's sort of a, be careful what you wish for. But, you know, uh, the problem here wasn't that he constructed the machine, planned it and constructed it. The problem is that human beings around him don't make any allowance for accident and they become vengeful and, uh, They create an image which you find interesting fictionally. And and indeed, there are many horrible things that we wouldn't want to encounter in life, but we are glad to encounter in fiction. But the result of having fixed our attention on this image is that uh, the the outcome is um, is what? And I'll I'll read the end. Right. So the second uh, the second aliens come down. Uh, they see his skeleton in the continually swinging, continuously swinging pendulum um, with an enigmatical smile wreathing its lipless teeth. I don't know how uh, it's enigmatical or I don't even know how you can smile without lips. But anyway, um, human beings might look at a skeletal uh, mouth and think of it as an enigmatic smile. I don't know about this narrator who comes from the time when English spelling has been reformed. And it brought back and forth, up and down. The strangers from the void stopped the pendulum in its course. Only these are the ones who come in the silver rockets, right? The black gelatinous aliens kill human beings. The ones in the silver rockets now do something else. He's already dead. It ceased. They stop it in its course, ceased its swinging and cracked open the glass cell which previously had been impenetrable, exposing the skeleton to view, which of course it had been viewed because it was a skeleton in the glass. And in the gleaming light of the stars, the skull face continued its weird grinning as if it knew that it had conquered something, had conquered time. The prisoner of time, Leoville had indeed traveled along the centuries and the journey was at an end. And I read this and I have to say, I am absolutely resistant to it. The stranger stopped the course of the pendulum. Okay, so human beings couldn't. What are these angels in the silver rockets? They are beyond time. That's what happens here. The prisoner of time had traveled along the centuries. We have nothing in this version of the story to know that his life was extended beyond that of a normal human being. Yeah. Because we don't know the length of Time that takes for the technological changes or the uh, the aliens coming down and the journey was at an end. And I look at this and I say, well, by golly, you know, everybody who has ever died and wasted away to a skeleton was, in fact, a prisoner of time. And their journey down the centuries had gone on and their journey is never at an end. Right. I mean, if you can travel while you're a skeleton, the fact that the pendulum has been stopped doesn't stop the travel. I find this such a. Well, it wouldn't be fair to call it juvenile just because we know that Bradbury was young when he wrote it. I find it such a. An emotional ending that is it's grasping for an emotion um, that when I see that the emotion is a misfit ...with the story, that it's not justified by the plot, it seems to me that it's sort of self-indulgent. I see in this story predictions of the sort of lyricism that Bradbury becomes well-known for starting just a decade later. But as a story itself, by itself, okay, there's an image of a guy in a a pendulum bulb... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> i, I want to read uh t- two comparative paragraphs um so this is uh i'm going to read the uh the re- the rewrite on this is on page 91 of our version of the rewrite um and then i'm going to read uh the top two paragraphs of page 14 in the original so it goes like this much later is this really the end I have seen the end of the reign of the robots. Yes, yesterday, just as the sun was crimsoning in the west, I perceived the hordes of things that came swarming out of space, expanding in the heavens, alien creatures fluttering down the great gelatinous masses of black that clustered thickly over everything. I saw the robot rocket planes crisscrossing the sky on pillars of scarlet flame, blasting into the black masses with their electronic beams, but the alien things were unperturbed and unaffected. Closer and closer they pressed to Earth until the robot rockets began to dart helplessly for shelter. This, these are the reasons I picked these out is because they have this co- the colors of of red and black, scarlet and crimson, and then the black uh, gelatinous creatures. Now here's the original. The robots took care of him. Now, evidently, the humans thought it was a a waste of time to bother over their prisoner. The robots brought the food, cleaned the pendulum cell, oiled the machinery, worked tirelessly from dawn until the sun crimsoned westward. At this rate, it could keep on for centuries. But one day, as Leville stared at the city and its people in the blur of an ascent and descent, he perceived a swarming darkness that expanded in the heavens. The city rocket ships that crossed the sky on pillars of scarlet flame darted helplessly, frightenedly for shelter. The people ran like water, splashed on tiles, screaming soundlessly. Alien creatures fluttered down, great gelatinous masses of black that sucked out the life of all. They clustered thickly over everything, glistening momentarily upon the pendulum and its body above, over the whirling wheel and roaring bowels of that metal creature, once a time machine, and how an hour later they dwindled away over the horizon and never came back. The city was dead. So these actually are doing very similar jobs, but one I think is much more lyrical and full of poetic uh, of uh, poetic um, beauty. That. Uh, is I mean it really comes down to when I think about the Pent and the Pendulum, I think it's not a very good story by Edgar Allan Poe. But I understand what he's doing. And what he's doing there is is trying to show emotion and image. And that's it. The explanation that comes at the end of the story, it's not a good one. <laughs> it's ridiculous, in fact. But the mounting horror The mounting, why is this happening to me? Is interesting. And here, I think, when you start to try and, you know, like it starts off with these these bird-like aliens, and then they find his book, and they're waiting for the translation, and they start reading it, and then the rest of the story is that. I don't need any of that. I think it just makes it longer. (laughs) It doesn't make it better. I find that this original, as raw and silly as it is, is is um, very fitting. And that image of the skull smiling, that's that's not original with, with Bradbury. That's a very um, gothic image. The, the, there's a story called The Dead Smile, which we are invited to think it's the family smile because whenever you see the family in the tomb, they all have the same smile. You can see all of their teeth right? That's what makes it a smile, is that a smile shows teeth. And if you can see all of them, that's a big smile. It's all about the image. I, I, I don't think if you l- look at this story as any other way, um, you're going to be <laughs> very satisfied with it. But the, the second one is far more polished. And, and I have a feeling that those misspellings could be because it's set in the future, or it could be he's just trying to save space. Right? I mean, there's no way of knowing, but it's so raw. and you see the power of Ray Bradbury just as a youth, that the sort of higher heights he can reach are all laid in the in in these early stories. it It's almost a genetic story rather than a you know a a brain story, a, a thought out story. i I find it very interesting in, in that respect. and and so the remake for me, rewrite it just sort of um it sort of flattens out that interest
1: well, i can see why that would work for you that way i'm i'm glad that you you get the these pleasures out of the first version uh certainly the language is more bradbury-ish mm-hmm. uh frightenedly what that kind of word is frightenedly <laughs> you know yep. but on the other hand the word crimsoned uh as a past tense of the verb to crimson, um, Mm -hmm. appears in the later version. It's a reminder of something that's much more frequent in the earlier version. And I can see that if you like that, that's terrific. But for me, I, I still have to say that, um, I want there to be something more. And for me, there is something more in the revised version because the first version is concerned primarily with the sense of this guy. And the sense of this guy doesn't make much sense to me, so I don't understand how it matters to me. Whereas in the second version, the guy comes to stand for humanity. And at the end of this front frame narration, you know, he sees that It's all ending now. It's coming now. Those black gelatinous shapes above are drifting away to join their companions. The mechanism is grinding raucously. My arc is narrowing smaller, smaller. I feel so strange. And we know that this is the moment when whatever the machine has done to give him immortality, suddenly he realizes that, no, now he is going to be mortal. And this... This catches us all up. Um, As far as the pit and the pendulum is concerned, um, I don't think that the pit and the pendulum is a bad story. I don't wanna, I don't think we should take a lot of time to discuss it, but I will say this, that like the second version of pendulum, the pit and the pendulum is about more than the experience of the one man. And in terms of the vividness of the language, we could go through it and talk about the way the the heated s- uh, the heated room collapses in on the fellow the way in which the umbilical like monk's cord uh, that binds him to a a cot has to be gnawed o- open so that he can move around by vermin the the heat that grows the possibility of falling into a terrible pit in fact the story is rife with deep, lurid sexual symbolism and fears and when at the end the the protestant general la salle reaches down his hand after we've heard the trumpets of heaven uh, and takes him out of the the grip of the inquisition we realize that what else is going on in the story of the pit and the pendulum is not only the fear of sexuality and the fear of the unknown and the fear of death. But it's also an exploration of the differences between a myth-ridden system as Catholicism is represented in classic Gothic literature. And he's in the hands of the Inquisition. These are monks looking down into the pit versus the cleaner, more enlightenment Protestant world that we tend to see from the 18th century on. So Poe's story gives us so much richness about the individual, individual psychology, cultural history, literary history. Um, I would put it miles above both versions of this Bradbury story. But I would at least like to suggest that the connection between that layering of significances that all mutually support is much closer to the Henry Hasse version than it is to the Bradbury alone version. Even though I fully grant you in terms of imagery, the more pure and powerful Bradbury is in that, as you call it, genetic story. But, as you proved again, Jesse, there's always more to say.
0: And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.